Hello, hello. I'm your host, Stephanie Martinez Rivera, and you are listening to the Joy Found Here podcast. I am obsessed with reminding my fellow mamas, queens, badass babes, ladies and girls that perfection is just a word, not a lifestyle. Multitasking is overrated. Comparison is a theft of happiness. And yes, you can put yourself first. Oh, and by the way, for optimum results, you should. I'm a New York girl from a small town, part-time badass, proud mama bear times three. I've seen 60 full turns of the sun. I've learned the importance of how kindness begins with you and your self-talk. Join us each week as we help you navigate both the messy and the magical season of this crazy ride called life. Real stories that remind us to reclaim your power. The sun does come out after the shitstorm. A good cry can be cleansing and We really don't know who sits on top of the mountain of judgment. Sit back, plug in, fill up your cup. This is your time. Remember, you've always had the power. Welcome to Joy Found Here. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of the Joy Found Here podcast. So today's guest, first, let me introduce her. Her name is Jill Krizanovich. And she will correct me. I practiced it and it went a little smoother in rehearsal, but I said it. Who has lived a thousand people's lives, I want to say. She is an author with a memoir that's out with a little twist, a lot of twists, but an interesting twist. And the name of the book is called When the Apple Falls Far from the Tree. Normally, I would give a couple more insights, but I want to say sit back and just take it in. There's so much to hear, so much to learn, and know that, good God, without hope, change doesn't come. And that's all I'm going to say. And with that, I say, welcome, Jill. I am so, so happy you're here. Thank you so much. I am very honored to be here and be sharing time with your community today. Appreciate it. All right. So this is the biggest loaded question I've ever had to say, because I've read some of the books, so I'm not going to do any spoilers. I just want to say, so Jill, tell us about you anywhere you'd like to start. Uh, There are so many entry points, aren't there? I could really start just about anywhere at any Mm -hmm. point my life, but I'm going to take us back to uh, approximately two and a half years ago Mm -hmm. when I decided to jump into a 90 day sobriety program. It came about because I had read a book, a really good book that a friend had recommended to me. And I saw myself in the main character who was talking about her journey on sobriety. Needless to say, she had a 90 day program you could buy into at the end of the book. And at the very last page of that book, I hit that button and bought that program and there's no turning back. It's been two and a half years now since I have had any alcohol and that in and of itself is a wonderful thing to celebrate. But what I didn't know was that it was going to be opening this great big box of inner healing and many, many things began to transpire because of that um, sobriety journey and awakening back to my truest self and who I used to be and always have been, I guess you would say. So we can jump off of any point. The book, let's go back again, just to that title. If someone was going to look that up, 
you wrote it as in a pen name, and that name would be? Margot Riley. The reasons for that were twofold. Obviously, Jill Krizanovich is not the type of name you're going to see slapped on a book, and anybody who attempted to look that last name up would probably not have much success. But as you know from going through some parts of that book, it's very detailed, my memoir, and it has some stories in there that are very tough to swallow, and many of those people are still alive. So the pen name was also just a courtesy and respectful to those people who are still alive that are part of my story. So talk to me about, because I do have a lot of people around me who are enjoying the sobriety world. Was there one event or someone just said, hey, I'm reading this book or I'm, I think you would enjoy this? And was it just the right day? It was probably too many things to mention, but I do come from a long line of alcoholics on both my maternal and paternal side. My mother's death was actually because of alcohol. Um, she died from liver disease. And I never saw myself as really having a problem because I was very much a fun, social, laugh, life of the party kind of drinker. So I never really saw it as a problem until my teenage daughter's shared one too many videos with me of me having a good time and being the last one in the house and crawling up the steps to come in at two o'clock in the morning after we just entertained the neighborhood. And while it was all fun and games while I was living it, it was really something to look at it the next day through a different set of goggles. And I realized that I was kind of becoming these people in my family and my drinking was on a trajectory that was not headed in a great place. Let's just put it that way. So for the record, I too have um, witnessed some of those lovely videos of myself, either on my own phone that I totally forgot were taken when you find like days later, or yes, as the, and I say, quote unquote, children, yes, mine are older, is funny, perhaps, or as much fun as you thought you were having in the moment. It's very different when you see it. It is. And most of my book is about my troubled relationship with my mother and the mother wound. And when I saw those videos, I very much saw a reflection of her. And I knew that I had to get off that path real quick. In the dedication to the book, you dedicated it to your grandmother. Tell me about her. Well, thankfully, I think one of the things that any of us who go through a traumatic childhood needs is at least one trusted adult in our life. And I did not have many trusted adults around me, but I did have a loving grandmother. My father's mother was a constant and she was really my personal cheerleader. I didn't realize it at the time, but she very much lived vicariously through me. She was a whole body. She served. She never really left the home. She never even had a driver's license. And so she was really envious of all the things that I was doing as I was going into my teenage years and saying, oh, I'm going to be this and I'm going to do that. And she really was like, go for it. The sky's the limit. You can do whatever you want to do. So I was really, really grateful to have her the first 27 years of my life. Without her, I don't know how I would have made it. And the fact that you had dreams and aspirations and that you weren't held down to, I want to say, identify with the childhood that you did have, again, not stellar, not optimum, but yet you rise. 
Yeah, yeah, there's been a lot, a lot of obstacles in the story. I start off in the beginning of the book where I'm reflecting with some older cousins and we're coming to some realizations as adults about where our family is rooted and what we stem from. And then I flash back to some of these horrible episodes in my life. And it wasn't until I began writing my memoir that I understood it was meant to be a healing journey. My initial reason for writing the book was merely to export all of that stuff from inside of me, put it outside into some monumental type book of pages. And I had no idea the healing that was going to come from it. And as a matter of fact, after I finished writing the manuscript, I then went back and read those chapters and realized there truly was a gift or a silver lining in each of those episodes. And I was able to pull it out and then understand that this is why I meant to write this because many readers are going to be able to feel this or identify with this as well. Their story might be different, but the tool or, you know, that I'm relying on could be identifiable. In between each, I'll say chapter or section, you use a lot of different quotes that obviously are right there to preface what is going to happen or what was happening. And one of the more powerful ones, I don't know what the complete one is, but it's one that I always believe in. And that is the, I am. And two of the strongest words. They really truly are because it could go either way and either way. It's probably true. Just if you listen to what words follow it, you know, I'm a big proponent of, be intentful, intentional with the I am, and then fill in that blank. And I'm also really intentional with punctuation, like put a period before you continue the sentence as to all the reasons why it's never going to happen. And yeah, no, the sun is shining today, but it'll probably rain in the afternoon. I'm like, okay, put your period, the sun is shining today, period. Totally different statement, totally different outcome. And when you are writing, so I see, if I hear you, you're saying originally it was perhaps um, therapeutic. Let me do a data dump. Let me get the shit out of my head to like, did it really all happen? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? And again, maybe it did, maybe it didn't, but that is how you remember it. And that is how you received it. True, false, somewhere in between. That's exactly how it was. But you start writing it that way. And then where does it turn to say, wow, it was literally a divine download. I was driving in my car. It was winter here in New York. I had Christmas songs playing and that Christmas song called The Gift was playing and the repetitive verse was, I'm thankful every day for the gift. And I'm one for strong words and mantras and intention as well. And something about that, hearing that verse on that song was like, oh, the gift. They need to know the gift. I need to know the gift. And the fun thing is, is I knew the gift all along. I never, ever, even with all the horrors of the stories that are shared in there, I never wallowed in playing victim. You know, I have siblings who took a totally different spin on this. Things were not as easy for them, but I have to say I was blessed in that I really had this inner compass when I was very young, when all of this craziness and domestic violence and just utter chaos and craziness began in my home, I had this inner compass and I would describe it as 
partly intuition and half part imagination. You know, I just had really good instincts and those really good instincts told me when to go within. And when I was in my little imagination state of mind, instead of being like, oh my God, I'm scared. Who's going to save me? I would just go into this like place of bliss. And what I didn't realize was at a very, very young age, I was manifesting. Although I didn't even know that's what it was called or what it was, but I had such an eye on the prize for so many years with conviction. Nope, that's not me. I'm going to do this. I'm going to have this. This is how I'm going to create it. And I stuck to that. It was that self-talk and that inner compass that I had from such an early age. I wish we could teach it. You know, I'm a teacher now. I wish it was something we could explicitly teach. I try to model it as much as I can because ultimately it does come down to self-talk. It's self-talk and self-loyalty. And it's just always been very strong for me, thankfully. The word tough doesn't even begin to describe. It's a sad, it's an unfortunate. There was a lot, you were witness to a lot of violence, domestic violence, and a lot of, I'll say upheaval. I mean, you were here, you were there, a lot of instability. And yet you have the wherewithal, and maybe that's where you did just have that ability to go in to know that, did you always want to be a teacher or did you just find that in college or? No, I always did. In fact, uh, there is one chapter in the book dedicated to my third grade teacher, who is the reason I wanted to become a teacher. And he was my saving grace at a very difficult age and time in my life. And it's funny because of the way I faced things, you would think that having a man in my life would probably not be a good idea, but he was such a teddy bear and he really was just so great with us kids. And when I wrote the book, I actually delivered him a hand-signed copy and, you know, he's up there in age now and not doing so well health-wise. And when I handed him the book and said, there's a chapter in here about you. And I wrote a little dedication. He almost felt a little guilty. And he said, you know, I never knew it was that bad. And had I known I I would have done more. And I said to him, you don't understand, but that's exactly the magic. You didn't try. You didn't do anything different. You were just yourself. And it was enough to inspire me. And you are the reason that I am a teacher touching lives and hopefully the same way today, because you were just being you. You didn't have to know what was happening behind closed doors. You made me feel special. You made me feel like I had a voice and self-worth in just the third grade. Seen and heard. Mm -hmm. People go their whole lives, right? Seen and heard. Yeah. It was the first time I had ever experienced somebody actually listening to the words come out of my mouth. An adult, no less. So you go on. So now you're a teacher and you have your own family. And how are you holding this together? Or is the before we became sober, is that the little crutch, the little aid, the little I mean, I can't even imagine how you're going through and having this life and then you're a mother. Maybe it was easier because you had such a contrast of, I'm never going to do that. And yet sometimes there goes history. Yeah. Yeah. Repeating itself. You're not repeating. I definitely did not always have an issue with alcohol. I think I definitely had it under control for most of my adult years. And most of the time my children were growing up. But there did become a point where it started showing up more and more. I ended up 
escalating in weight to extremely high numbers and getting really depressed and down on myself. I ended up having a bout with very rare cancer. And so all of these things kind of compiling, I think over time, the alcohol just slowly started creeping in at a faster rate. And I didn't realize it was happening, but it was. Where are you in, I want to say, a level of faith? Because again, after a while, I'd be like, all right, listen, shitty childhood. (laughs) Thanks for that, guys. Uh, You know, I pull myself up. I get a career. I get a great family. Oh, throw a little cancer thing in there on top. And either, wow, or is it you are one strong, resilient bitch in a good way that, you know, God knew exactly what he created in you. It's funny because, you know, like everybody, when I first got diagnosed with cancer, of course I crashed like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I'm writing out my funeral, picking out my songs. Who's going to take care of the kids? You know, I had that hot moment of I'm doomed, but I very quickly got myself up out of that. And I just then once again, had this inner knowing that everything is going to be all right. Just do what you need to do. Everything's going to be all right. And of course, it was all of that childhood resiliency and that interface. So back to your question, I've never been a religious person per se, but I've always been spiritual in nature. And I've always felt there's some sort of higher power around me. And I definitely tapped back into that once I became sober. Part of the program that I did for that 90 days was journaling, meditation. She introduced us to EFT and some of the modalities that I heard you speak of. And it was like a smorgasbord. You know, I tried a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and I found what resonated. And it was all of those tools that kind of took me right back to that inner compass that I once had. It was like a recalibration. Every time something would happen, I was recalibrating again. Right. You've said it in the book, but you've also said it, I've heard it here, that you just knew shitstorm all around at different points in your life, but you just knew. So you, you always had the belief and had the faith and probably didn't question too much. Like, okay, come on. What, why, or, all right, I know what to do. I've got this. Yeah. Yeah. I really just got used to, okay. I've been through shit before we can do this. And I keep proving to myself that I can. And of course, I'm like, okay, enough. You know, as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, when I wrapped up writing this book, I thought, okay, well, look at that. We've got this hurdle and this hurdle and this hurdle. And believe it or not, I've already started book two because at the closing of that book, something big blew up, huge. I won't divulge any information other than it involved an ancestry test. And so now my whole world has pivoted and changed directions once again. If that's not a teaser, I don't know what is. Wow. You know what? It's so interesting because, and any therapy along the way? Nothing formal. I've always wanted to do it, but I will say that since the sobriety Two and a half years ago, the very first coaching program I bought was about how to write a book. It was an inexpensive one, but I have been working with coaches ever since I've been in several containers and personal growth is like my jam. I just love it. I love evolving. I love learning about myself, my limiting beliefs. I've discovered so much about why I am the way I am. And of course, everything stems back to childhood. And when you have a shitty ass childhood like that, it explains 
I could self-diagnose myself, but yeah, no real formal therapy along the way. No. Professional therapy is just one little piece on the whole spectrum, you know, like pick a number, any number, because again, as you said, you've delved into EFT, you've done meditation, you've done journaling, all of those things. And the fact that you've done the inner examining to see the brick wall, which most people, me included, I just like running into the brick wall. And then I'll lower my shoulder and do it again, because I know I'm going to just get through it versus let me stand back. Let me say out loud, write it on a paper, what's really causing that, and then just watch the wall tumble on its own. I definitely still have room to grow there. I mean, I'm guilty as well, but it's so nice when that awareness comes where you hear yourself. I guess that is what returned for me in sobriety is that I hadn't been listening to myself anymore. I was into everything and everyone else. And then when I got sober and I was stuck facing my feelings and thoughts, suddenly I was like, oh, there she is. I remember you. And it was a real cool kind of reintroduction. And it also sounds like, again, all of you've moved so much out, which then only leaves room for more, room for new, room for bigger and better. Absolutely. I try to tell, you know, I have friends and family who seem to be stuck in various areas. And, you know, a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you wrote this book. I can't believe you shared those details. And I basically said, if there's anything I've learned in my journey through these decades, it's that integrity. It's that it's those who suppress and hold those demons and skeletons down that do not heal and don't get to move on. And I've seen it, especially with my family members. And so, you know, if, I, if there's any one thing I want people to get from me sharing that story and living it out loud, it's that you are responsible for processing that which is trapped inside of you, because when you let it go, there is a release and you will move on. There is definitely liberation and those that do love to drag that 50 pound bag of luggage behind them. And it just, it just defines them. But more importantly, they're always stuck in that 10 year old, eight year old, whatever it is as grown ass adults that it doesn't have to be that like what happened then happened it did. Everyone is entitled again to their opinion as to what really went down. If you had four people's point of view, there's four different truths because it was very different. I say that all the time. If my brothers had written this book, I'm sure it would be entirely different. I do put that disclaimer at the front of my story. Like these, these are my perceptions. It's how I remembered it to have happened. And even in a normal, when you're dealing with any type of sibling in any family, good, bad, and different. Oh, and I always say, because there's three of us and I'm the baby. But if you were to interview us, if you were to talk to us, you would swear we were all raised in different households. <laughs> you know, my parents were at different ages. There were different things, different times of life, different everything. And, and I have three kids as well. And my two older ones had a very different than the prince who came along seven years later and almost was an only child because the girls were so much older. But yeah, no, very, very different and definitely aware of that. So 
it sounds like we have to stay tuned for the next book, perhaps. It's going to be another... It's going to be another book. Again, even when I wrote the first one, I thought, oh, it's just going to be birthing this little book just so I can feel better. And now that I'm really overwhelmed with the amount of people reaching out to either say, wow, I had no idea or, oh my goodness, I can so relate to this chapter when you talked about, I mean, it's just crazy. The connections, for example, the chapter in there that is about my sobriety, I'm talking about how I was teaching fifth grade at that time and how I was not smarter than a fifth grader and how I was beating myself up because for the first time ever, I felt incompetent as a teacher and I had never experienced that. Well, that chapter, like I said, is mostly about my sobriety, but I had a friend from London reach out to me and said that that chapter spoke to her as a mother during two years of the pandemic when she felt she wasn't smarter than her children. And it was so hard for her to be that vulnerable in front of them and be like, look, I don't even know. I don't know the answer. We got to look it up because that's what I spent my whole year doing. And I never thought in a million years that I would be reaching somebody for that reason. But here I was inspiring somebody for a totally different reason than I intended. And so I guess that helped me to see the power in sharing my story is so much more and so much bigger. And therefore, the next book will definitely have to come out. It's going to be much more concentrated on what's happening in my life now, whereas the first book, uh, When the Apple Falls Far From the Tree, is about falling far, far away from the life my parents were, were living, obviously. So how long, you said you were in the car, you were listening to the song, how long from the, I'll say, idea to the finished product? Well, I would say at that point when that download happened, I was probably about three quarters of the way done. Okay. So I, I took the existing chapters, I reread them all, I pulled out the gift, and then I finished like the last three or four chapters and worked on the gift as those came along. But I like how you noted that the um, quotes, they kind of tie into that too, because the quotes tie into the gift and it kind of drives, like you said, what's going to be happening next. And I love quotes. I'm a quote person. They have always to me. Yeah. Quote here to absolutely that. That's why it's like, oh, I like that all broken down. There are so many, they're truth bombs. They're just so good and so profound. It's what you're saying and thinking and somebody else just says it so eloquently like that. And easy, nothing that has to be what, just easy stuff. And take a step back and be like, oh, yeah. And it really does uh, enlighten and, and change the view and, and all of that. Well, this is like I told you when I reached out, I read your post. I'm like, okay, you can talk about anything. You have so many different topics to speak of. I love the clarity that the sobriety has brought. And yet all of the other, like the windshield is clean. Yeah. Yeah. I think the biggest gift that came with that sobriety, aside from awakening, remembering my roots and is the forgiveness piece. My mother recently passed away and mm, I had, I'm sorry. Mm. Thank you. I had a lot of years of processing her rejection and her inability to love me. And when I got sober and I began reading lots of, you know, getting into Gabby Bernstein and, and a lot of spiritual material, I realized that my mother's journey was not personal to me and that it was never me. It was 
her dealing with her own demons and karma. And it really took that awakening for me to understand. And then I was able to forgive when I realized that it wasn't me. You almost have to say that again, because so many people suffer from that, from the why am I unlovable? Again, these are all what might be truths in their how they've received, but they're receiving from someone who I'm just assuming didn't know your grandparents or her parents, but you're expecting something from someone who never had it. So therefore doesn't know how to give if she never had it to give. And you, I'm sure because of your grandmother, had your fill, had your dose, had your example to pass that on to your children. Exactly. Sure. For sure. You know, I think we're all guilty of taking life so personally. We feel like everything is happening to us. And I just had to get real clear on the fact that it's not, it's not everything that's going on. is not happening personally to me. It's happening personally to the person who's experiencing it. And, you know, being able to step back and look through it. But as I mentioned, I am a very spiritual person. And so I started doing some reading on soul journeys and soul contracts. And once I did that, it just answered so many questions because I also felt very guilty about why I was able to rise above that hot mess of a life and my brothers weren't. And I would feel guilty of that fear of shining and outshining and when I realized that same thing about my mother and her soul contract and what she was here to experience, I realized that that is what differentiated me from my brothers as well. They may be my siblings, but they also have their own life story to go through. So for a while, you thought it was okay to play it small? For a long time. I'm still trying to step step out of that. It's something I work on every day. Well, I think it's uh, time you take your place, my friend, because, yeah, you you are living very big, and so you should. This is courageous, ballsy, vulnerable, healing. You served it, the smorgasbord of pick one, just pick one, and you can definitely relate to something. Maybe your early years were a little more settled. Maybe they were this, maybe there was only the one parent, whatever it was, but there was just so much in your trajectory that it really does spell out. And you didn't really have to explain too much how spiritual you've been because the- Isn't that crazy? It really is. I I didn't know it. I didn't even know that through those years that I was tapping into my intuition and I didn't know it. I couldn't give it a name until recent years. Yeah. Well, truly identified very clear now and cats out of the box, my friend. So I think you need to keep sharing and keep shining on. I appreciate that. Thank you. It feels very liberating, not only for myself, but the connection piece that has been here since the book was birthed. It's only been out a month. Like I said, the feedback has been amazing. And I can definitely see some things happening from this. Like I may just end up developing a little course about how to get back to that inner voice and that self-loyalty and would like to do maybe some keynote speeches or that coming up here in the near future. 
I hope you keep us all posted. And as more good things come out of your works, let me know so we can talk about them as well. I would love to share and see all the great things that Jill has in store for us. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. And thank you so much for answering my shout out and agreeing to <laughs> tonight. I love talking about it as much as I can. It's a story that, like I say, I think when everyone recovers from the goosebumps and just the peace that they can relate to, let another layer of their onion peel off and start the healing process. And you are a stellar example of you're still alive. You came out on the other side, bigger and better. It can be done. It can be done. Just take the will. Where there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> it can be done. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time, Jill. I really appreciate that. And again, your story, it's one to tell. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in and diving in. I appreciate it. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. Thanks. Okay. That was a, one of my faves is what I got to say. It's just a great reminder that there's no coincidence. Like, I don't know why, again, I'm like, I have to talk to this, this woman and just with all of just her gems and her knowledge and the richness of knowing there's, there's more, there's more, there's more, there's more. And taking the leap and being brave to get there you know, sometimes you don't think you have the answer, but yet then it just shows itself. So anyone out there will definitely put a, the spelling of Jill's name in the show notes, uh, along with the book title. Oh, where can we find the book? That's important. The book is available at amazon.com or barnesandnoble.com. It's obviously when the apple falls far from the tree by Margot Riley. And you can also find it at my website, which is justbeingjill.com. Easy. Yay. Justbeingjill.com. Or margoriley.com as well. I love it. Love it. Thank you again. And always, guys, we are going on our second year. Crazy, 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 crazy. Thank you so much for listening, for sharing, for commenting, telling us what you want to hear. Joyfoundhere.com is the website that you've been finding. Thank you. And then also listen to us anywhere you hear your pods on Apple, on Spotify, on iHeart. Wherever you happen to download, we appreciate if you're new to the show, love, love, love if you would leave a review. And until the next time, thanks again and be well. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Joy Found Here podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please share it with a friend. And of course, if you haven't already done so, subscribe, rate and review the show on your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to head over to joyfoundhere.com for any questions, comments, and feedback. Until next week, keep your head up and your crown straight. You've got this.